Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Kia and welcome to our changing world on RNZ National with Alison Balance and Veronica Maduna. 2015 marks the centenary of Einstein's groundbreaking theory of general relativity, which explains how gravity works on objects from falling apples to orbiting planets. It survived a century of continuous tests of its validity, but so far no one has been able to confirm the existence of gravitational waves. Lane Mojer asks University of Auckland cosmologist Richard Easter why these cosmic ripples are important and how much longer it might take to prove Einstein right. But first, Richard explains just how Einstein managed to describe gravity. The way that he did that is he said that the way we feel gravity is because space and time get bent um, by the presence of massive objects. And so, you know, when there's this classic pictures of, um, you know, a heavy star creates a kind of dimple in space around it and the planets that are orbiting it. Uh, do that because, you know, they're moving in this curved space like a you know, skateboarder moving in a skateboard. So even though they're trying to go in what they think is a straight line, they actually wind up moving in, the, you know, their curved orbit around the planet. And, and it's a beautiful, beautiful idea. It, it changes our ideas of both space and time because it means that rather than just being a kind of stage where things happen, space and time become things that change as things move around inside of them. So, you know, if something moves in space, then the curvature of space around it has to change as it moves. And it's a very different picture of space. If, you know, something alive and dynamical um, as opposed to the sort of Newtonian picture where space is something rigid and you know, doesn't, doesn't actually take part in the action itself. Yeah, there was a good example of um, if you think about someone free-falling, weightless, similar uh, sort of thing. Exactly. So Einstein asked himself, you know, how, how would you know if you were falling? I mean, there's always people use this example of people yeah. f- falling in an elevator, which seems, seems a little cruel. You know, how can you tell the difference between being stationary and a, you know, in a closed room? as opposed to, you know, being in space attached to a rocket that's accelerating it. And the answer is, at least, you know, he, he actually started by saying, well, those two things kind of look like each other. And then he extended that by saying, well, let's assume they look exactly like each other and, and see where we get from there. And that was one of the things that he sort of cooked, cooked into the sort of foundations of general relativity you know, that he used to sort of reason his way to, to the equations that he arrived at in the end. In the last hundred years, this has been the only thing left to be verified, is that correct? The first thing he did was to clear up a mystery that had been around for a long time, which was the behaviour of the planet Mercury. So even then they knew that its orbit wasn't exactly described by Newtonian physics. And so you know, one of the first things he did was to show that you know, general relativity predicted slightly different results from Newton, and the, the general relativity kind of accounted for this discrepancy. So that was the first thing. Uh, the second thing was, um, in 1919, uh, general relativity also predicts that... Um, light gets bent as it moves past a massive object. And so there was an eclipse of the sun when the moon blocks out the sun so you could see the stars behind it, and they showed that those stars were in slightly different positions. Uh, This was a a, a sort of major expedition that was led by Eddington and other people in 1919. They showed that the stars moved slightly when the sun was in the sky. Normally you can't see that because, you know, the sun's bright and the stars are faint. And so that was actually what catapulted Einstein to sort of worldwide fame. But there's one big prediction of general relativity that's gone untested for the last hundred years, and that's this idea that the way we find out that something's moved in, in space is that the, 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 there are these sort of ripples in space 
that uh, that sort of move out from from their body that tells us that you know that the gravitational field has changed these things called gravitational waves and so what we'd like to be able to do is to detect them directly and so that's that's seen as this is the last big prediction of Einstein that's gone gone untested a hundred years later. What do you have in place at the moment to ever be able to prove the existence of gravitational fields? Uh, gravitational waves. There's two things that have been done. I mean, the first thing is people have actually looked at um, a pair of pulsars, which are very, very rapidly spinning, um, very dense stars. They're you know they weigh about as much as the sun, but they're maybe 10 or 15 um, kilometers across as a collapsed stars. And, and there are pairs of pulsars that orbit each other very closely, and you can actually see that their um, orbit is, you know, they're getting slightly closer to each other because um, they're emitting lots of gravitational waves, which means that they're losing energy out of their orbit, which changes their dynamics. So that was observed, um, I think, in the early 1970s by Holson Taylor, and they won the Nobel Prize, in fact, for that um, observation. But what we haven't seen directly is a gravitational wave, which um, you detect because it, um, you know, it stretches space in one direction and squeezes it at the same time in another. So if you have a very, very sensitive detector, you can pick up this kind of you know, match stretching and squeezing. But there's a, um, a major observational campaign on at the moment to detect these things. You know, there's a couple of big experiments are located around the world, the biggest of which is LIGO, which has just, just turned back on again after an upgrade. How is LIGO going to give us a better chance of detecting these? LIGO has been around for about, I think, about 20 years. It, there's two of them, in fact, because you know you you have to be able to tell the gravitational waves from you know the vibration of a somebody walking a mile away or a truck driving past. And these things are incredibly sensitive. You, the stretching you're looking at is is less um, than the width of the nucleus of an atom um, across a couple of kilometres. So it's it's amazingly sensitive. Um, so your first thing you do is you build two or three of them, so you, you know thousands of miles apart, so you can be sure that. If you see a signal in one of them, you expect to see a signal in another one. Mm. And you're looking for very, very sensitive changes in the distances that light travels inside of these big L-shaped detectors that pick up the, you know, the, the stretching and um, squeezing pattern. And they take all the air out of them and they fire laser beams down the detectors and they're essentially measuring the length of these arms of these um, detectors very, very accurately using very, very high-powered lasers. Um, there was a, last year as well, there was um, a lot of uh, articles about BICEP2. Right. What they were looking at there was gravitational waves that would be generated um, sort of right after the Big Bang itself as a theory. Um, so not the Big Bang, but sort of explains the initial state of the universe called inflation, uh, which is actually what I spent most of my time working on, so something that I was paying a lot of attention to. And what it says is that um, the universe expands uh, very quickly, um, maybe a trillionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a second after the Big Bang. And during that time, uh, quantum mechanics actually produces gravitational waves that would live um, until the present day. And in particular, details of the inflationary theory controls how many gravitational waves you get. And it seemed that um, BICEP2 had found kind of fingerprints of these gravitational waves, not, not actually the gravitational waves themselves, but um, sort of patterns that they'd left in the, um, what we call the uh, microwave background, which is uh, light that's left over from the Big Bang. Turns out that they hadn't, unfortunately, so, so it was a false alarm for the field. Well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> Hopefully it's going to be better for LIGO, though. What do you predict this is going to prove for the field? Um, so what LIGO would actually see would be if you have two black holes that, um, or two neutron stars that you know, merge to form a black hole, LIGO sees these merger events. So... So it's really looking um, for what people call sometimes cosmic sirens, you know, sudden, sudden kind of squawks of gravitational waves that produce a huge burst of gravitational waves very quickly. And so the, you know, the fact that you've got three or four detectors, you expect to see the same signal um, in each detector. And so LIGO um, 
is working very hard not to um, make you know sort of have a false alarm. They're very aware that it's possible because there's you know they've got to find this very delicate signal in, in what's a fairly noisy data stream. Uh, they're very, very, very careful about you know making sure that they don't have a false positive. So what you would expect to see eventually is is that they'll look for the pattern of gravitational waves that they expect to see, and when they're convinced that they've found it, um, imagine that they'll they'll make an announcement. And the sensitivity that they're claiming to have for the new detector is such that you can calculate roughly how many times you know you expect a black hole pair of black holes to merge each year, you know, somewhere in the universe that, or the piece of the universe that LIGO could see. And there's reason to believe that. You know, previously they would have been really lucky to see one, whereas now they're sensitive enough that they should be seeing more of them. And so there's every chance that they'll see one in the next year or so, I would, I would guess. And what does it mean for you and your field of science if this is successful? Um, so the first thing is, is that in some sense, I guess, you know, if LIGO is successful and it predicts the gravitational waves and their sort of detailed properties, are, you know, the way Einstein predicted that they should be, then it, does, it tells us, you know, that something we thought was true for a long time is, is in fact true. Um, but on the other hand, you know, if they're not the same and we don't see them, then that starts to tell us things about the way that, um, uh, you know, maybe general relativity doesn't doesn't work the way that we think it does. It, you know, when when the um, gravitational fields get very very intense, that would be certainly something that was revolutionary for us. So you'd be revolutionary by proving Einstein's theory wrong. Exactly. Or alternatively, um, if they do work, if LIGO does work as intended, then it becomes a new kind of telescope because you can see. You know these collisions of black holes and distant galaxies with you know with enormous fidelity, but using gravitational waves rather than light. And so you know that would be the birth of a, you know a new a new subfield of astronomy and astrophysics. So you know either either way we win. So, so, so we're quite excited about it. Absolutely. And looking forward to the next 100 years, uh, what can we expect in this field of, uh, aside from LIGO, obviously? <laughs> just 100 years. Just 100. Uh, just 100 years. Um, I mean I think gravitational well, the ability to see gravitational waves one way or another. I'm, I'm, I imagine we'll get there. In the next 20 or 30 years, um, even if LIGO, for whatever reason, isn't able to do it, there are other um, detectors and technologies that are coming, um, sort of being developed at the moment. Uh, you know, including things that would be in space. The ability to see gravitational waves is, is definitely going to um, have a huge impact on astronomy and astrophysics, and I would imagine on, on fundamental physics as well. I mean, simply knowing that Einstein's theory works or doesn't work at those energies is going to tell us something very, very new. Something, you know, something we don't know at the moment. That was Richard Easter at the University of Auckland speaking to Lane Moja. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web. rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Matewa.